0: So I do need a little bit of grace this morning. I was uh, sitting here this morning with my notes. Normally on a Sunday mornings, I think about 30 minutes to kind of finish up, you know, the notes, kind of tweak things, move things. I was staring at the screen for an hour and a half, just like, oh, my brain does not like working without caffeine. It's cute. It's funny. I know, but It's serious. It's a serious business, okay? On Sundays, you know, I, I tend to lean on coffee to give me more personality. Because normally I just want to sit in a chair, lean back, you all just kind of talk about Jesus. Like, that would be comfortable for me. So I typically rely on uh, coffee to make me more interesting. So if I get boring today, you know, it's okay. We're all fasting, all right? All right, week three, tents and temples. The entire uh, focus of the series is the presence of God. We saw in the Old Testament the presence of First, it is seen within the Trinity, okay? So, in Genesis, we see this guy, this God who is relational. He is three in one. From the foundations of what we learn about God, he desires relationship a two way, a back and a forth between himself and the things and the ones that he creates. And so, the next movement of, of his presence, if you would, we see him, he begins to fill this thing called a tabernacle. We all found out tabernacle is a really fancy way of saying what? Tent. Old school motor home. All right, so that's what God was in, okay? He was moving around the desert in a motor home. He's a very good God, okay? And then he, he finally finds a, a dwelling place called a temple. They erect a the temple, and he promises them that he will always be found there. And of course, to us, you know, as we see this, it kind of feels kind of a, a distant thing, but to The Jews, it meant that he would always be accessible. Whenever you need me, just turn, and I will be right here for you. So, in week one, we learned what the presence of God is. You guys have your notes? If you weren't here for week one, you want to write this down. His presence is this. His presence is his nearness, his availability, and his attention. Okay? Both the Hebrew and the Greek words for presence mean face. Okay, we we talk about like in conversation, what happens whenever you have a deep conversation, there's connection with the eyes. You give someone your full attention, you're fully present. We talked about the difference between having your full attention and then, yeah, uh uh-huh, right, gotcha. Yeah, if my wife has her phone out and we're on a date, I say, put it away, this is my time. Snapchat with your buddies later. This is my time. Put that phone away. I'm kidding. Come on. I have to sound hip, you know. I don't Snapchat. It's, it's honest. Okay. But anyways, you know, it's, it's that whole understanding of giving someone your full attention. We still have it to this day. To get someone's full attention is valuable. It's rare today to get someone's full attention. If you don't believe that, I encourage you to go back to Pastor Zach with the youth right now. I guarantee that they're they're listening and they've got their phones right here. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Hmm. Attention is valuable. Okay. To build relationships, it requires someone being fully present, fully invested. And so, in the scriptures, when we see the presence of God, it means that God is literally fully available in that place in that moment to that person or to those people his attention his eyes are on them and so for us as we continue to learn about the presence of god this is what it means to us it means when the presence of god is near to us it means that god is giving us his full attention he's fully fixated and focused on us now we we learned also in week one his presence is a few different things, okay? His presence is real, first of all. We, we trace it through all the scriptures, all, even history. We see all the different examples when God shows up in a place. We saw that his presence is a choice. It's something that we have to choose to pursue and to want. It has demands. It's often feared by people because it's misunderstood. It brings blessing, peace, joy, and fulfillment. That was week one if you weren't here in two minutes. So there you go. Entire week in two minutes. Week two, here's what we learned last week. Last week, we're talking about... After we've made the first decision, we've wrestled in our heart to say, we want to live near the Prince of God. Once you're willing to say, whatever it takes, I want this, the next step is to prepare for it. You have to prepare for the Prince of God. Uh, We talked about relationships. We talked about marriage, how often in marriage, it's one thing to say that you want to get to know someone. You want to trust someone. You want to have a deep relationship with someone. But how many people know here that it doesn't just happen? If it did, we'd all have the best marriages in the world. And you guys are all looking down like, I have a great marriage. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, me too, me too. And if I do have a good marriage, it's because we've been intentional. We've been intentional about making room in our lives to foster relationship. We've been intentional about having time where we each have each other's full attention. Dates used to be just kind of a trivial thing. Then we had a child. And then we realized, having a conversation with a third human in the room who has a voice, who has needs, and then as they get older, has opinions. And, yeah, my son enjoys grabbing my face and saying, Daddy, 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 Daddy. When you begin to have more voices, more people, more things in your life, that time of giving full focused attention to the relationships that matter most is crucial. One of the things I've been learning this last year is how to to make time for each of my children as well. So I come home and and I try to have at least five to ten minutes without the other child around where I'm just going to talk to this one. And there's something very special about that. And so with God, when we choose to say, we want more of Him in our life. We want to have a real relationship with God. It requires that we begin to prepare our lives for that, which means we have to begin to get ourselves ready to where we can give Him full attention. And so, what it takes for us to prepare our lives, it takes five different things it takes purification, it means having to remove anything in our lives that doesn't need to be there. It takes worship, which just means we have to be willing to show him his value to us. We have to take, it means prayer, which is conversation. We have to be intentional about finding times to connect and to talk and to spend time with him. It takes hunger, meaning it's easy for us to, how do you put that? Often we wish that hunger was something that would just kind of appear. Like I would just have this desire to be with God and then I would act on it. But often it's the opposite. When we don't feel hunger... When I don't feel a desire to hang out with my wife, that's when I need to make time for it. Does that make sense? It's the time with my wife that makes the feelings come. It's not the feelings that has me make time for my wife. Does that make sense? Okay, here we go. Okay, that's what hunger is. All right. And so from hunger, once you begin to make that room for God in your life, once you begin to have time where you give him your full attention, face-to-face time with God, all of a sudden the hunger gets so strong, you begin to realize You want him so much that the next step is consecration, which is a fancy word of saying, I'm setting myself aside. If you're married, if you have a ring on your finger, that's consecration. It's saying, I'm not here for anyone else. I am now set aside for this person. And once the hunger in your life for the presence of God gets so strong, you're willing to say to yourself and to everything in your life, I am first and foremost setting myself aside to give my full attention, my full investment to God. Amen? I'm so tempted to break the fast and start handing out cups of coffee this morning, guys. I've not heard one peep out of anyone this morning. Are you all Packers fans? Is that what it is? Did y'all get your hearts dashed last night? <laughs> had to, brother. I'm sorry, man. He said, there's that. <laughs> I thought we had a chance. We went overtime. Okay, so now we're going to start the next step. Okay, so week one, the first step, we have to be willing to choose his presence. It's a choice. We don't have to live near God. We can choose to just kind of skirt the issue. We can choose to live in the same house with someone and to try to have the benefits of of marriage, but to not be willing to make that sacrifice to come close to someone, to get to know someone, to lean and to trust and to to bring out the skeletons in the closet. Once we make that choice, we, we have to prepare for his presence, but this week, once we've chosen, once we've prepared, now we have to learn how to live in the presence of God. Who here knows what it's like to live in the presence of God? <laughs> I love those questions. Everyone's like, I just, I think, I think I do. You know, it's, uh, it's funny, whenever I was, oh my goodness, probably 17 or 18, I was always looking for... more mentors I just wanted to find people who could teach me something about about who God was about you know what he was like and so I would always look for people who were just different and you know the the three or four mentors I found were people who were just you could just tell there's something different about them and what was different was they had learned to in all things at all times no matter where they were to just be present with God it's the weirdest thing Eid, he's a minister and, and a, a pastor to Algeria. The, the first time I met him, I went to pick him up in the car, okay? And, and so the whole time, you know, I'm this, this, this young believer, I'm, I'm trying to think of ways to impress him. So I'm thinking about all these conversation starters that I could have to like wow him, okay? So I sit there, and I, you know, I pick him up, he gets in the car, and you know, and I'm about to start my conversation starter, and I go, hi, I'm and he just turns to the window and starts talking. And I'm like, who is he talking to? Literally, he, he he just completely ignores me. He's having a conversation with Jesus. So Jesus, how are you doing today? Bro? I'm thinking, are, is he speaking on Sunday? We need to get this guy, you know, like a background check or something. on this weirdo. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I just learned that these men had found a way to where speaking and spending time with God was as real to them as spending time with you. It was a real thing to them, and it was because they had learned to just make themselves so intentional about carving out room at all times and all places to be with God. My grandfather is actually one of the people that is the most like this. It's the craziest thing. My grandfather, for about 17 years that I knew him, was this really sweet old man, and he, you know, he had some great stories of, you know, the way the world used to be. That's about all he was to me. Until this one morning, he waited until uh, the kitchen cleared out. Everyone was out doing something else, and uh, he and I are at this table. And again, up to this point, I mean, you know, that's that's all he was to me. And all of a sudden, he just kind of looks at me, and he peers around. He pulls out this old Bible, and he, and he starts to weep. And he goes, I love the presence of God. And I thought to myself, who is this man? Where is my grandfather? And, and he says to me, he says, I've been waiting to show you what it's like to be in the presence of God. But I can tell now, it's time. And he will just, I mean, at all times, he's so sensitive. Uh, he'll walk in a room and again, it's almost like he is so present and conscious of someone else in the room and you're just like, who, who is he talking about? Who is he looking at? What is he talking about? But again it's just, it comes from this constant time making time to be present and fully face to face aware of God. But it changes you forever. And so this morning we're going to talk about what this looks like. So, gosh, guys, I mean, can you say anything? Hello good, Hello, good morning. We're listening. Oh, that's sweet. All right, here we go. You guys see these books over here? Okay. I think I'm in the dark now. It's okay. We are switching offices right now, so we have all of our books just kind of all over the place. So I grabbed a few of them. I have... If I were to stack my books on top of each other, I might be able to get that ceiling. Maybe. It'd be close. I've got books and books and books, and then Pastor Larry's got books and books and books, and Pastor Zach's got books and books. We've got all sorts of books. They would just bore you to death. We've got all sorts of these resources about the knowledge of God and who God is and, 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 you know, the, the Greek and the Hebrew and historical context and all these different resources to learn about God. But at the end of the day, on my worst day, whenever I am at my weakest, none of those books or that study or that that stuff is what keeps me grounded. It's what keeps me going. On that day when you just feel like you just ah, you feel like God is so far away it's almost as if this whole thing could just be made up. On those days, these books don't help me at all. On those days, this book does. This is not a Bible like you were thinking, oh, it's a Bible. <laughs> it's not a, a, a diary either, okay? I'm a man, okay? It's a notebook <laughs> that I happen to write things in. It is not, a, it's a manly journal. <clears throat> what this is, um, I think I have these going back to about when I, when I was about 17. What these are, is just times where something special has happened. Um, any kind of a situation where I prayed about something and God showed up, or I was going through a difficult time and I felt like God showed up to, to help me through it anytime I got prayed for, and there's just, you know, kind of words that just, there's no reason that person should have known about, you know, things I was, I was going through. Anytime I had these, these moments that just touched my heart in such a way that I just was reminded that he's real and he's near to me, I write it down. And so, when it comes to my, to my lowest day, what keeps me going is my experiences with God. I would love to say that on my worst days because of my prayer life or because of my, you know, my study of, of the scriptures. But the honest to God truth is this on my worst days, what keeps me going with God is because I have moments in my life where I knew that I knew that I felt it, I experienced it as real as I've experienced anything else. Now, what's painful about that kind of a thing, too, is that those moments aren't every day. If they were, I would have many of these journals. Notebooks. Come on, Lord have mercy this morning, guys. You guys are about two seconds late on like laughing. You know, so like the joke's already passed. Oh, you said notebook. That was good. That was, oh, come on, Tina, you're better than that. Come on. And so what happens here, guys, is that there is a place for us with God where it's okay to lean on feelings. It's okay to lean on experiences. Now you cannot build your walk with Jesus on feelings and emotions alone. You cannot do that. But there is a place for us to create a remembrance of the times where God showed up. Now, we have a very fancy word for this in the church. We call it Testimony. Who here's got a testimony of Jesus? Come on. Testify, witness, right? You guys are like, that's not you, Devin. Don't try that. That's okay. We have this, this idea, this, uh, this word testimony. And the Oxford English, uh, it tells us that testimony is the evidence or proof provided by the existence or appearance of something evidence or proof provided by the existence or appearance of something if you want a more simple way to understand testimony it means witness to witness something you got the eyewitness news right eyewitness news it means someone on the ground seeing it and telling you about does that make sense the reason that they send reporters two things is so that you know it's real There's someone there looking at it and and trying to relay the things they see and experience so that you can experience it too. Does that make sense? To witness something, to physically be in a place, to feel, see, smell, hear, experience something, and to know it so real, to experience it so real that you're willing to share it with someone else as if it really happened. Testimony. Now, in the Old Testament, testimony was the only way to really corroborate a story, meaning it's the only way to prove something happened. So from the Old Testament, we see this idea of testimony. Everything had to be established, and the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so what you find out... In almost all of the accounts of Scripture, there's always two or three people mentioned in prophecy and in the Old Testament history of accounts. When God would show up, notice, there's always other people around to testify about it. And again, it's almost like a legal thing. It's a way that they can prove it really happened. Now, in the New Testament, we have a new angle on testimony. Jesus comes, and he brings a testimony of God. Now, does Jesus walk around saying, okay, my testimony of God is this. On this morning, I got saved and blah, 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 blah. Guys, really? I'm, I'm putting some effort out there. Oh, Okay, here we go. What, what the testimony of Jesus is is very simple. He says that God is spirit. No man see him. But I have seen God. I am God. As you see me, you are learning who God is. So literally, the entire life of Jesus is the witness of who God is and what God is like. We had never in history had the chance to look, see, smell, and touch God before, but Jesus is that for us. So he comes and says, everything about me, everything I will do in my life, every single detail of who I am is a picture, a witness of what the Father is like. And so with this new understanding of testimony... We go to the book of Revelation. If you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead to the first, the first passage that we're going to open up here. Revelation chapter 12. We'll start uh, verse 9. We'll get the dragon in there so you guys enjoy that. Here we go. Verse 9. The dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. Pause there. If you guys are here for all of our stuff on the gospel and on the kingdom of God, this should make more sense to you, okay? And so again, in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of the brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, Pause there for a second. Now, the blood is something that we have no control over at all. The blood is is something freely given to us. It's not something that we can invoke or force or make or earn. The blood is something freely given. And so we overcome the enemy, the dragon, by the blood, which is something, again, completely out of our hands. But we also overcome by something in our hands. Next, by the blood of the lamb and by the what? The word of their testimony. Now, this is not just the account that you were saved. Your testimony is your living example and proof, your life as proof that God is real and what God is like. Did you hear me? Because, again, the example we follow is Christ. We are now in line, in lineage of Jesus. And so the testimony that he has is now becomes the testimony we are to walk out So your testimony now is not just a legal document your testimony is not just an account of when you were saved your testimony your life is to show everyone around you that god is real and what god is like now if you think about this your struggle your everyday struggle to obey God, to pursue God, to trust God, to lean upon God, to spend time with God. That struggle, everything that takes place inside of that is what your testimony really is. Meaning, when you are in a place where the realness of God grips your heart, you act and live differently. Does that make sense? Right. When the presence of God, when the nearness of God grips your heart in such a way, it makes you live and act in a different way way. And so, one of the ways that we are responsible for for battling Satan, for overcoming the one who's attacking us, is by wrestling to live in such a way that shows that God is real. Meaning this, how do I make this less spiritual, more real? On my worst days, I lean upon the fact that I had moments where he was so real. On the days when everything feels made up, I remember the days when it felt more real than anything I could feel, see, or touch. On the days when he feels a thousand miles away, I remember the days when he felt like he was standing right next to me. This is what it means to fight, to wrestle through your testimony. Testimony. It making sense now. When Satan comes at you, you don't say, "Well, I got saved ten years ago." At this moment, and this day, when Satan comes at you and says, "God's not faithful," you say, "No." I remember this time when it came through for me, and this time when it came through for me, and this time when my, when my son was sick, and this time when, over and over, that is how we wrestle. We choose in the moments of dryness, of, of emptiness, of of loneliness. To lean and trust God when he doesn't feel near, that is where the power of our testimony comes through. When we choose to live in the presence of God, when we don't feel the presence of God, that is called faith. When we live and act as if he's right next to us, when we don't feel him next to us, that is when power shows up. Let me bring it home even more. When your marriage is having a terrible time and you haven't felt close in forever, when you're not sure if you can trust that person anymore, when you remember all the way back to the times when you could and you start treating them as if you're all the way back in that moment when things were perfect and you treat them as if they're still the same person even when you don't feel that they are, that's when your marriage makes it. Does that make sense? This is is how you build a relationship. You begin to get so cemented on who that person is that nothing else will shake your picture of who they are. When you learn that God is faithful and that everything in your life tells you he's not faithful, you say, no, he's faithful. I know that he is. When you spend time with God, when you spend so much time with God where you know that he loves you, but when you don't feel his love, you let that 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 anchor, that time where you just, you put it so deep in your heart that it carries you through the moments when he doesn't feel as if he loves you. This is why we have to be people who live in the presence of God because there are times when the presence will not feel as if it's anywhere around. There's times where it doesn't feel as if God is looking or paying attention to you. There's times where it doesn't feel as if he sees or hears anything going on in your life. But if you, were, if you were capitalizing on those moments when He did feel near, it will remind you in the times when He doesn't. It'll keep you through those times. So, in the scriptures, I was praying and thinking about what examples we see in the Bible of a life lived in the presence of God. And the one that really gripped me the most was uh, the one I, did, I wasn't really sure would Psalm 23. I know you guys have heard this all a few times, but there's something here for us this morning. Psalm 23. I'm going to read this first in the NIV, and then I'll I'll bring it back in the message, just kind of shake us up a little bit. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. We're going to switch to the message translation, just real quick, just to kind of, I know this, it's so hard sometimes when we've heard these passages a million times, so the message kind of helps us kind of shake us up and realize there's things we haven't seen before. So in the message, verse 1, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through the Death Valley, I'm not afraid. When you walk at my side, your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You, you serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God the rest of my life amen now uh, one of the first things to note there with this passage is note how you put that it's so easy with these passages toward it it almost becomes it's almost like a uh, like a bedtime story does that make sense it just sounds so sweet oh he leads me to quiet waters and restores my soul I mean right I mean does it seem kind of sweet and cute Okay, I guess I'm the only one who's like very cynical, right? I'm like, okay, that just doesn't sound like real life. Okay, okay. The first thing to note about this passage is that he still leads us through death. I mean, if it were up to you, wouldn't you say, couldn't we just like skip the Death Valley? You know, it's like, I mean, right? Okay, Lord have mercy today. You're like, okay, you know, He wants to make a meal before, you know, he wants to sit you down at a table for a meal with your enemies. Wouldn't you be like, I'd rather eat with my friends? I mean, right? I mean, like, you're like, okay, why do we got to do this? I mean, it sounds real sweet, but when you really read it, you're like, if he were leading me, he would have to be dragging me. I'm like, okay, I don't want to go through the valley. I don't want to go through the valley. Let's go around. Let's, you know, let's... Planes are nice this year you know I mean it's like why do we got to go through the darkness and the scary stuff I I mean you know if you really love me won't you just take me around it if you really love me won't you just keep my enemies really really far away so I don't have to see them it's okay we don't have to eat you know right there in front of them I mean what kind of an awkward meal would that be eating with your with your enemies staring at you (laughs) this is good you know, hey, what's some? I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, think about it. I mean, like, really read it. It's like, oh my gosh, this is not as fun or as nice sounding as it should sound. I guess it's really rather real, actually, because we don't get to avoid that stuff, because in this world, that stuff is real. But what happens is when we learn to be present with God in these situations when the crap hits the fan, okay? When you face death, when you face your enemies, your obstacles, your deepest fear, when you face these things, the peace is not in avoiding them. It's in finding the way to be present with the Lord through them. So we're going to use this passage to kind of break down some keys to how we live in the presence of God. So here's the first one. The first way that we l- live in the presence of God is we learn to value his presence. When his relationship and role in our lives becomes valuable, we will make room for it and invest in it like never before. Uh, you know, I remember whenever Jude was first born, I used to be a youth pastor. And so with the youth center we ran, I used to be out until about 9.30 almost every night. We had the youth center. We'd have events and, you know, services and different things for the kids almost every night. We were open Monday through Friday. And so I would get home typically around 9.30 at night, almost every night. And like the first week that we came up with Jude, I was like, this is not going to work. This is not going to work at all anymore. We're going to have to make some changes. And so what happened there was I had to look at this new relationship in my life and assess how valuable it was to me. How much time do I need to make for this relationship? And whenever I decided that this child was valuable to me, that meant that anything else that was not more valuable than this child had to get bumped off the schedule. I've got to make room for this relationship in my life. And so what happens with God is that the truth of it is this. We don't value him enough to bump anything else off our schedule. We we, we don't value his relationship and his role in our life enough to bump this or that or the other. And so it all starts with this. It starts with this having to be intentional and say, you know what? If he really is God... If after I die, there there really is life after this. A hundred years, a thousand years, a million years, infinity. If there really is that after this life, maybe I might value time with him a little bit more. But if we don't, if we're not convinced of that, things won't change. Living in his presence starts with understanding the value of his presence. In week one... With David, we saw that he was bringing the ark of the presence of God back to the people. But of course, when this event happened and his anger broke out and and the man died, he devalued the presence of God. He said, you know what? I'm not willing to live in the presence of God. You can go over here. But what happened was after a few months watching what the presence of God does in someone's life, he decided, maybe I want to bring it home. Oh, but Edom, his house started getting to get into multiply, and he, you know, he, hit the, he hit the 1.5 billion jackpot is what it was. That's what happened. He said, maybe I want to go to that grocery store next time. <laughs> Come on, bunch of sinners. <laughs> I know you guys all played the jackpot. <laughs> if you win, you better tithe. I tell you. <laughs> when you value that relationship, you make room for it. It's very simple, you know. Um, with marriage counseling... Often when they come in, the first thing I ask, how much time do you make for your spouse? There's your problem. Oh, well, you know, the kids are always hanging out. We just love the kids. There's your problem. (laughs) Love your kids. (laughs) With a sitter. (laughs) Here, you go over there for half an hour, an hour. We're going to spend time together because if I don't have time with this relationship, it's going to hurt this relationship. And that's the thing right there. If you are not making time with the Lord, it's going to affect every other relationship. In your life, so the first step to living in the Prince of God is we have to learn to value His presence. It's a special thing. Just a quick note here: um, it's it's often the small things that matter when it comes to valuing God. It's not just like you know having ten minutes every morning. It's just learning when, whenever you just whenever He shows up, just to put everything else aside. I had this moment. Wow, uh, uh, when did the Hogs play this week? What, what's it like Tuesday night? I think it was Tuesday night that the game was on. I was fasting, I was very angry, I, I was not in a good mood because of the fast, and I just knew that God was telling me to turn the TV off and spend time with him, so I watched the game. <laughs> come on, I'm honest, come on, yeah, okay, anyways, I'm honest, and the whole time I just felt, oh, oh, this game was awful, I mean, you know, the team's winning everything, but it's, it's just that small thing of just learning, so Friday night, the same thing happened, you know. I had something else I wanted to do, and I was like, oh, I really wanted to, do." oh, yeah. And then I just I felt this really subtle kind of feeling, oh, I should spend time with the Lord right now. And so I did. <laughs> it's those little decisions. It's those small little things that when we begin to value the presence of God and his relationship. All right, so after we learn to value God, here's the second thing. We have to learn to cultivate conversation. I want to make this as non-spiritual as possible. So you get it, okay? Here we go. Conversation is where we are intentional about making time to listen and speak to God. This sounds very simple, okay? But it's hard. Who here, who here actually talks to God throughout the day? Okay, I guess we can go home. <laughs> it's a... There are times in my life where I will notice myself worrying a lot. Does that make sense? Almost like when you wake up and you've got that thing that you've been kind of tossing and turning about all night long. You know what I'm talking about? You know, where you just find yourself constantly churning over issues or problems or hurts or fears. And in those times, I always realize that I haven't been spending time talking to the Lord about things. It's a very simple kind of a thing. But in the times wherever I just choose to just, it's almost like a free flow. Like I'll just be walking around. Now, again, I'm not like in Walmart going, hey, Jesus, how are you today? I mean, I'm not wanting to get arrested or anything, okay? Just, you know, I mean, whether it's in your, in your mind or, you know, if you're whispering, if you're alone, you can talk out loud, okay? People shouldn't look at you if you're alone. Anyways, you know, it's, it's just learning to make yourself aware. It's almost like just acting as if someone's in the room, you know? Have you guys ever had someone just kind of act as if, like, you are invisible? It's the weirdest thing. You're like, I'm here. I'm physically standing right here. You know, it's like, you know, like they see right through you. Choosing to acknowledge that he's near. And the hardest thing for most of us isn't the talking part. The hardest part for most of us is the listening part. Most of us are really good about kind of getting off, you know, the things that are bothering us or angry about this or I need this. But it's the waiting. So what do you think part that's the hardest for us? Nisa, I'm really good at listening, aren't I? Yeah. She didn't say anything. She just looked at she's she, she just looking at me like, yeah. Uh. You ever been with someone to where like you're having that one way conversation? You know what I'm talking about? Like they're just talking, and they're, oh, yeah, but and the whole time they're just kind of answering their own. You know, they just keep it all going. We are often like this with the Lord. We it feels Weird, first of all, to wait. It feels weird to have silence. Secondly, we hate silence. Who here makes time in their day to sit in a room with the lights off with no sound? Nobody, right? I didn't see any hands. Who talks to Jesus? We all do. Who listens to Jesus? (laughs) Making time to be intentional about just listening. Now, again, the lights don't have to be off. You don't have to do that kind of thing. But small things like uh, I used to drive to work with sports talk on. You know, because I used to want to get my head, my brain off of church stuff. So I just kind of put sports on. And and uh, I just felt this this feeling to turn the radio off. And so I would turn it off. I'm telling you, that first five minutes was silence. like so, You know, you're like in the car, you know, you can hear all the, the creaks and like the rattles in your car. Oh, we got to get that checked and got to get that fixed. It's so distracting. But if you can get past that first, it's really bad, it really is. If you can get past that first phase and just become intentional, just making time to listen to God. It's amazing the things he's speaking to you. It doesn't have to be weird. I'm not talking about, you know, having angels show up. I'm, you know, I'm not talking about having flames of, you know, tongues of fire appearing in your car. You know, that's that probably not safe if that happens. Okay, I'm just saying just having ways where he will speak to you in a way that where you get it. To where you get it. Be intentional about it. Third thing. We have to learn to find safety in the flock. This entire passage using the context of a shepherd and his flock. Now, we all love to read it about the me and the him, but there's no shepherd who shepherds one sheep, okay? They shepherd a flock. I can't want to call it a herd because a flock is like geese to me. Does that make sense to you? A flock, I think geese and birds. Anyways... I'm going to call it a herd. Anyways, it's a flock of sheep. And so what happens here is that often we are so bad about being most comfortable when it's just me and God. Well, it's just my life and it's just me and Jesus. It's just my relationship. Well, again, as you've learned about the church and about the way God's designed the church, there's no such thing as just you and Jesus. Okay? You are part of a body, part of a church, a family, whatever analogy you want to pull from the scriptures. There's no picture where you are alone. Every single picture is you are a part of a larger whole. And this is crucial for you to understand. You are part of a flock. And so part of the way that a shepherd keeps the flock safe is he keeps them together. Does that make sense to you? If you've got 30 sheep, okay, and you're trying to get them somewhere, you cannot touch every sheep with your your staff at the same moment. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And so the safety comes... You learn, you learn to be comfortable around other disciples of Jesus. You learn to be most comfortable when you're connected and you're moving together. It's almost like, uh, uh, can you picture a flock, okay, a fluffy sheep, okay. Can you imagine being in the middle of that, what that feels like? At first, I think I would freak out. <laughs> I need some space, <laughs> you know. I mean, come on, anybody? Okay, I feel really bit weird all of a sudden, okay. I mean claustrophobic anybody no okay if everyone were pressing in on me I'd be like get off me you know personal space you know we're Americans five feet anyway (laughs) but I think after a while it it, you know having people shoulder to shoulder you know what I'm talking about just feeling like it would become comforting does that make sense in the moment I would lose that sensation of feeling someone next to me I think I would wait what's wrong And see, that's the way it's supposed to be for us as believers. The moment that we begin to pull away from the relationships God's put in our life, we're supposed to go, wait, wait, something's wrong. I'm pulling away from the people God's put around me to keep me safe. The church exists to keep us safe. It's a part of the way that God protects us and leads us is he leads us together even as he's leading us individually. And so sometimes what's dangerous for us the word says that those who are his will know his voice. He says, you know, you know, I'm the shepherd, and those who are mine will know my voice. And the Middle Eastern shepherds lead from the front, which is very interesting. Pastor Larry taught this many years ago, and it's always stuck with me. You know, here in the West, the way that we lead flocks and herds is by driving them with dogs or with, you know, four-wheelers or helicopters now. Have you guys seen that? outrageous. Anyways, you know, we find a way to scare them together, is what we do. But in the Middle East, what they do is they walk ahead and they sing or they talk or they call, and these sheep know the sound of the voice. So you can have multiple flocks together, and you can have these shepherds walk away from each other, call their flock, and they will know the voice. But part of the way that we learn the voice of God when we're struggling <laughs> And, you know, whenever we're young in the faith is by following where the other sheep are going. Does that make sense? If I haven't had enough time with Jesus to really know his voice from the voice of others, being around other believers who, when I start going this way, they go, hey, no, 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 over this way, come on, come on, stay over here with me. This is how we stay safe. We have to learn the safety of the flock. Let me see what I put in the notes here. One of the tools a shepherd uses to care for a sheep is its own flock. Through the testimonies and relationships with other disciples, we are able to ensure we are truly following the Lord and not the voice of another. Here's the fourth thing. The fourth thing. The fourth thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We embrace his leading and correction. Now, this is a really sweet way of saying we learn to love his staff and his rod. Okay, you got there. What verse is it here? Uh, I think it's verse 4, it says, uh, even though I walk through the, through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, scholars kind of disagree on this one a little bit, okay? Um, some argue that it's one stick and the rod is kind of one end and the staff is the other, but most scholars believe that it's two separate things. The rod is kind of like a club. It's used for fighting off enemies. So when the lion shows up or whatever it is, the club is what they would use to protect the sheep. But also, it's what they use for severe correction. So if you got that sheep that's really just not wanting to stay at the herd, he brings the club and boots that baby right back in. You just, right, just like that. But the staff is the one thing that most of you guys picture. It's that long kind of a piece of wood with, at the end, it's got the crook in it. You know what I'm talking about? The hook, the crook. Now, the staff is not used for punishment. It's it's not even used for correction. It's used for gentle guidance. And so what the staff, what they'll do often is like when you have the herd, if one side of the herd, I call the herd again, if the flock is starting to move the wrong direction, he will walk on one side and he'll stick it out to where this, this staff is just there, just enough to where they feel it. Oh, we need to go this way. Oh, it's that gentle leading of God in our lives. And the crook is that a little bit more uh, abrasive leading when you're just just missing it. he just needs to put someone in your path to say get back in line and so part of living in his presence being near him again with this whole analogy living in his presence is just like that that flock that that sheep staying close to him part of it is learning to embrace his leading in his correction after we learn his voice and know his heart for us. We were able to embrace the gentle leading of his staff. And the protection and correction of his rod. Here's the last thing. We learn to follow. Here's the last piece of how we live in his presence. Once we know his voice. Find safety in his flock. And embrace his leading and correction. We are ready to pursue his presence. By following wherever he leads. Whenever he leads. No matter the circumstances. The ultimate key to living in the presence of God, to living constantly in his nearness, his attention and his favor, his availability, is by learning to obey God. When he says, I want you to move to Salina, who wants to go to Salina? No, I'm just kidding, I'm messing, I'm messing. They got Starbucks, right? Yeah, okay. Whatever God speaks, you go. (laughs) That's the point. That's the point. But it takes learning his voice, learning his heart. It takes learning the safety of the flock. It takes these things to mature you to a place where you can walk in obedience. And obedience is the place of living constantly in the presence of God. Would you guys stand with me this morning?